Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Michael John Simpson. My co-caster, Ash Jones, and I started this podcast to give voice to our passions. We're back from a brief Labor Day vacation, and we continue our exploration of everything. This week, we were particularly proud to welcome our first guest to Something 2XP, local Los Angeles artist, graphic designer, staunch feminist activist, and all-around groovy person, Kitty Brown. Ash and I had a great time recording an episode with Kitty. It was fun, relevant, and of course, covers a wide variety of topics. This week, Kitty, Ash, and I sit down to discuss Tom Cruise, Paul F. Tompkins, goth club art shows, blue jeans, French cinema, European media, Carl Jung, cartoons, goth and horror culture, strong female characters, anime, prints, and video games, as well as political topics like racism, classism, sexism in nerd culture, and the post-racial myth. Put your thinking cap on, here it is, episode three of the Something Something Experience. Yeah, it was... Yeah, so... Hi, Kitty Brown. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been up to? Um, let's see... I've recently been working for a digital ad agency that mm-hmm. focuses primarily on social media marketing for entertainment clients. Cool. Um, so doing a lot of like Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest graphics for titles like Sleepy Hollow. Um, their season one DVD is coming out sometime in October. And so you did, did stuff for that? Yeah, I did a bunch of uh, graphics and promo work for that. Um, that's cool. going to be on social media. <laughs> Look at my stuff, everybody. Yeah. Um, also did some social media graphics for Edge of Tomorrow, which is also coming out in October. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Like, again, you know, Facebook cards and Twitter graphics, uh, stuff for Tumblr, lots of stuff for Tumblr. Uh, what else did I work on? Oh, MGM is having their 90th anniversary, so they're coming out with different collections, and I got to do the uh, Chills and Thrills collection, which is all of like their horror movie stuff, so like Carrie and Ooh. Chucky um, and a lot of like horror classics, so um, I set up a Tumblr for them, did some graphics for that, social media stuff. Um, like I said, the the agency pretty much focuses on social media marketing, so everything was like, we need a graphic for Pinterest, and can you make a thing for Tumblr, and we need to put something up on Facebook, can you make a new cover photo? And it was so cool. Very cool. Thank you. Feels like you're digging your new gig. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. What did you do with uh, Edge of Tomorrow, exactly? Because that, that film... I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen? I have, um, and I read the manga that it was based on. Like, what was the name of uh, the name All You Need Is Kill, All you need is kill. or something like that? All You Have Is Kill. I think I'm, it's All You Need yeah. Is Kill. Interesting. I know that there was a, a weird thing, like Switcheroo type thing, uh, with the promotional material, where they, um, for the Blu-ray coming out, they mm-hmm. actually it looks like they changed the title. So mm-hmm. it says like "Live, Die, Repeat" on yeah. the letters. Yeah. And then "Edge of Tomorrow" in like really small like text. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't seen that yet. I I was kind of um, for years and years I was kind of out of favor with Tom Cruise. I wasn't. <laughs> I I it, it, I don't know. It it's one of those things where there's something about Tom Cruise that I want to not like. But with his acting and some of the projects that he chooses, you can't help but like him. Like, right. like the thing that really sucked me back into liking Tom Cruise, or liking at least some of his roles, was Tropic Thunder. Because his role in that <laughs> was phenomenal. I mean, he was so funny. And, so, and he's just 
proving again that he can be so funny and so not take himself seriously. And I have great respect for any, especially any dramatic artist um, who doesn't take themselves too seriously. The other film that got me back into him was Night and Day with Cameron Diaz. I actually went to a preview oh, screening like that of that. One? I actually really like that movie. It's it's kind of just fun and silly and bang, bang, shoot, shoot, rom-com thing. It's like a mm-hmm. rom-com meets, um, meets action thriller. And it was just, it's just fun. And Cameron, I, I like Cameron Diaz. She's really goofy and, mm-hmm. you know, not afraid to, to make fun of herself or be silly. And I, like I said, I have great respect for that. I think one thing about Tom Cruise is he um, takes his career very seriously and he's trying to be like a classic Hollywood actor. Like if you notice the mm-hmm. roles that he takes, he's very selective about, um, you know, what jobs he will take and what jobs he won't. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if you look at the, you know, whole span of his career, he's trying to plan it, you know, so that he becomes one of the greats, like right. Humphrey Bogart right, right. or someone like that. Right. Where, you know, the only thing I don't like about him is the fact that he's a Scientologist. But yeah. I like, that I like, that is hard to separate. Yeah. I mean, it's it's in there's certain inter- instances and especially certain aspects to certain people that's very difficult to separate from their their work. But you can't deny he's a really talented actor. You can't. You can't. I mean, there there's there's things as long as they're not trying to pass him off as too pretty or too mm-hmm. handsome man. Now in Night and Day, he was very dashing because of his actions, not because of his looks necessarily. I don't think he's necessarily all that attractive. I don't either. You know, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think he's relied on his looks at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, but there's definitely projects that he's done where that was kind of a focus or that was a thing that was supposed to just carry you along on the journey of whatever he was working on. I also can't believe you guys got me to defend Tom Cruise. Like, that (laughs) just happened. Anything can happen on this. But, no, I agree agree with you on on him trying to, um, yeah, make it well, like, really round out his whole filmography. He wants to to be, like, the classic Hollywood leading man. I agree. Um, And he's got the talent for it. Yeah, he's got the chops. I'd like to see more people on his level kind of, like, switch it up. Like, uh, maybe Tom Cruise should do a horror movie. I agree, and I think yeah. he should do more comedy too, because he proved way beyond the you know far beyond a doubt in, when Tropic Thunder that he can really do comedy and not take himself seriously. Um, there's and there's some really I mean that's the thing about Night and Day too. There's a lot of really laugh out loud moments in that movie that involve him and not just her but also him, mm-hmm. and just the way the way the banter between them and the way they look at each other. There's real chemistry there, and both of them acted really well in that. And and I saw that because no, I was like really you're gonna drag me to a Tom Cruise movie dude and then we went and saw it and I was just like god I really enjoyed that it was just so much fun <laughs> and but I mean like I didn't like War of the Worlds I thought it was no. land. I love that movie well War That's of the right. Worlds the book was well, really yeah. crappy I mean you know, no tea, no shade, but it's totally a Deus Ex Machina ending right. where it's like, oh, the germs! Yeah. Germs were how we defeated <laughs> it's them. Like, like the water and signs. <sighs> yeah. I, lo- I love the Orson Welles broadcast. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, really that right there, War of the Worlds, the radio broadcast, 1936, and the internet will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, the radio broadcast, you listen to that, people thought that shit was fucking real. People thought we were being invaded right. by aliens. Right, and that was amazing, but yeah. the source material, again, right. it's a deus ex machina right, ending, right. and it's just, it's not satisfying. It's Jules Verne, or is it, no, is it Jules Verne or, or H.G. Wells? I don't I remember. I think it's H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells, H.G. Wells yeah. yeah. Speaking of H.G. Wells, there's a podcast called the Dead, the Dead Authors Podcast, and it's Paul F. Tompkins. 
and he plays H.G. Wells in the podcast who has used his time machine to go back in time or to come uh, come forward in time from when he died grab an author who's or back or forth through time grab a de- de- dead author and brings them to modern day to the UCB theater and interviews them on stage <laughs> for a half an hour and they did Carl Sagan and, and it's guys it's guys from Super Ego and and basically mm-hmm. all of the real nerdy you know alt comic comedians playing these dead authors and it's really very funny it's nothing there's few things in life that give me more pleasure than when Matt Gorley is doing uh, Ian Fleming and that episode should uh, they did they did that at the UCB recently and that should be coming out soon well, and Paul F. Tompkins is not only a really great comedian but he's also like a really great person yeah. uh, if you follow his social yeah. media he's you know all for feminism he's totally. all for social justice things like that so you know lots the, of respect the dead authors podcast uh all the money all any proceeds anything above just cost of, to run it that they make they give everything to this liter- literacy fund liter- literacy foundation which basically helps literacy i don't know what, what level whether it's children or adults or whatever but basically it buys books and tutors and blah 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 to help people be able to read and it's it's again like you said it's one of those one of those philanthropic things that he does and he's he just the more i know about Tompkins too. I just like him more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And this is the time when Michael plugs other podcasts on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all in this together. That's true. We're all in this together. <laughs> so, so Kitty, um, are you doing any any <clears throat> showing? Are you doing any actual like um, exhibition type art right now? Or I know you do you do that in your spare time, just as kind of an ongoing journey of of the artist kind of thing mm-hmm. and. Um, but are you doing anything where you or got anything coming up where you're going to be showing stuff? Because when we met, on a little background here, Kitty and I, you and I met when we were, you were uh, way too young to get into clubs, and we were yep. both showing <laughs> our artwork at goth clubs, uh, goth and fetishy clubs around LA. Mm-hmm. And um, we, met, you were doing that before I started showing my photography, uh, but then we wound up meeting it at Bar Sinister. Let's see, you were 19, so that would be what year? That was like uh, eight years ago? Yeah. Eight or nine years ago? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was showing my photographs, and you were doing your... And your parents came with you. It was so adorable. Here's Kitty in this white minivan, and there's her parents, and it's just like, oh my god. Well, because like when I... <laughs> this was like one of the first um, art shows that I did at a goth club, and it wasn't advertised as a show at a goth club. It was just like, oh, gallery in Hollywood, searching yep. for artists, blah, yep. blah, blah. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. That sounds awesome. And yeah. I get there... And it's a goth club, and I had invited, like, you know, friends and family and stuff, and they're like, oh, well, this is, this is nice. Okay, well, you know, this this is great. Is this what we paid for you to go to college for? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, But, you know, as soon as I heard the music and everything, I was like, my Uh, people, uh, like, I'm home, you know, and I've been goth clubbing ever since, so um, it didn't do too much for my career but it was great for my social life yeah yeah. Um, and I've since been showing at actual gallery galleries like the hive I've shown with cannibal flower um you know and a couple other places in LA um were you at the did you show at the um the there was a hive show that I did that was basically my last art show was in 2009 
and I was showing them like Steve Diet and some other people. Oh, it was, was it the um, it was um, erotic? Yeah, art yeah, yeah. It was the art, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had a couple of uh, yeah. pinup illustrations in that. Yeah. That's where Danny hit on you. That's right. right? Yeah, that was yeah. that's where Danny. That's where Danny uh, trapped me forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Heidi Kelvert uh, uh, curated that. Yeah, show. and I've yeah. shown with her a lot. She does um, different shows all over LA at different venues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's, she's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What, what, what inspires you like uh, to, to do your art, and, and, and how do you get started doing this type of art? Um, well, I've always been drawing, like as far back as I can remember. Um, coloring books were always my favorite thing. As far back, back as I can remember. I always wanted to be an artist. <laughs> oh, that's her Jack Nicholson, right? No, 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 that's uh, Goodfellas. I always oh, wanted yes, to be yes. a gangster. That's, uh, it kind of sounds like Jack. I know, I know. My, it's my, like Mix. My, <laughs> what's, like, my what's his name is not a very good impression. I so so bad I don't even know his name. Anyway, proceed. I had to get my shitty impression in there. So It's cool. Um, no, I've, I've always been drawing. I've always been coloring. Uh, my parents have a photo of me at, like, the tender age of five that, you know, I'm really unhappy because they disrupted my coloring, oh, you yeah. know, and I'm just, like, glaring and giving, like, resting bitch face to the camera, like, full force, you know. So even back then, like... <laughs> Art was very serious business, um, and I was very lucky. My parents were supportive. They put me in art classes, like, after school. Um, I did a lot of, like, classic fine art stuff as a kid, um, and I had a really well-rounded art education. And I was always really into comics, really into manga, stuff like that, so it just seemed like a natural progression. I'm like, oh, I like these things, and I can make art, so why don't I do that? <laughs> well, was, so you, you said... <clears throat> so was the the goth club thing the, the you know Kendra Ryan's shows at wherever cigar shops or whatever mm-hmm. were those your first shows ever showings or um, those were some of my like second wave of shows I started showing locally in Orange County at you know very small galleries coffee shops mm-hmm. um, occasionally like people would ask for art for um, open houses, like, you know, in new realty tracks. It's like, oh, we just need something to put on the wall of these model homes. And I'm like, okay, are you going to pay me? And they're like, yeah, we'll kick you down a couple hundred bucks, which, you know, when you're, yeah, when you're like when 16, you're, 17 yeah. and in high school, it's like, hell yeah. That, that rocks. That's rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got started doing that. Um, and then I decided, you know, why just stay in Orange County? Like, why not go to L.A.? It's a major metropolitan city. I'm sure there's more movers and shakers there. Um, so Kendra's shows were some of my first in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> mine too. Um, so how did you start breaking into the scene here? You moved here, and then you started looking. How, how was that process, and, 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 and how well, how do you find your first break to like show something? I actually <clears throat> um, started doing shows when I was still living in Orange County. I didn't move up into L.A. until about 2008, a couple months before I graduated from college. Um, and I just started putting myself out there. I made a website with some friends, you know, started, like, just throwing it everywhere and when it comes to getting creative gigs you know a lot of people think it's about talent or who you know um, but it's actually really just a numbers game eventually if you put enough fishing lines out there you're bound to get a bite you know like eventually somebody's going to say yes 
um, and they did. Um, and I was very fortunate. I didn't have to wait too long. I know some artists wait, you know, like six months to years before, you know, they finally have someone say yes. But as soon as I started putting my stuff out there, I immediately got people saying like, we want your art for a gallery. Come to our coffee shop. Like, come check out this place. So I was very fortunate in that regard. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, my, my photography never took a foothold in that arena, although people are always... Oh, we telling got, we me that, oh yeah, the roomies are coming home. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how and and if 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 you'd rather not talk about it, uh, mm-hmm. please tell me. Um, I know your 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 mom died a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and did that have an impact on your choice of subject or the way that you did art or or even even just your. Um, impetus to succeed excel that kind of thing i mean how obviously it affected you did it have an effect on the art um i think it did just because it you know is a major life-changing thing um when my mom was first diagnosed i wasn't dealing with it in a healthy way i had just turned 21 Mm -hmm. so i had you know unlimited access to alcohol and i'm like i'm gonna drink until i can't feel this anymore (laughs) which i admit was not healthy and was not the way to deal with that um and eventually it was art that brought me out of that i started volunteering for the american cancer society um and i ended up setting up a mural team uh for the costa mesa relay for life and you know our team rather than running on the track uh for 24 hours we painted a mural for 24 hours so start to finish a mural in a day start at one end and go to the other or was it all just like just kind of this this kind of like LA neighborhood building of blossoming from different points? Um, It was definitely blossoming from different points um, since, you know, it was my idea to, you know, make a mural in 24 hours because I'm crazy like that. Uh, I gathered about seven or eight artists and I was like, okay, everybody gets, you know, a panel of wood that's, you know, six by four and here's the overarching theme, um, which for the first one we decided to do different feet walking on the track like Mm. legs and feet and since the relay started in the 80s um the first one that i did was this woman in like pink pumps and (laughs) leg warmers you know it was like super like flash dance um and you know everybody else had their like legs and feet that showed like the progression of time um through fashion like i think the 90s one was like jelly sandals um (laughs) you know things like that or, hi- um, or hiking boots and flan- some flannel uh, you know sleeves, right? <laughs> flannel shirt sleeves hanging down around yeah. the knees or whatever yeah yeah. somebody <laughs> did Doc Martens I think in like mid 90s um, what is what are the classics though what yeah was, what was the name what was that what is it they used to call when guys would take their flannel off and tie it around their waist and it would hang down on their butt, well, they, there was a name for that. And oh, I don't remember no what idea. that was. Yeah, I don't no know. Idea. But I, that's something I'd like to know. It's coming back. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if you've yeah. been well, in hip, Silver Lake recently. Movement, yeah, it's One thing I miss <laughs> is, like, ripped jeans. I, I wish they like sold Like, acid wash and ripped. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I, I mean, so I, cool. I remember watching a show <clears throat> that showed how that was made, how they did that, how they, how they would have people stressed, pre-stressed jeans. By you know cutting here or scratching felt there. Like cheating. Yeah, you gotta yeah. earn you gotta those earn, ribs. You gotta, you gotta fall on your knees a few times. There, there's nothing <laughs> like. I mean, I grew up in the '80s, '70s, and '80s, and there's nothing quite like buying a brand new pair of Levi's 501s, um, and then within a few years, they're just you know they're they're 
they are uniquely yours because they've there's that one pen mark, there's that one scratch, there's <laughs> that one, you know, uh, fray at the at around the cuff. There's you know that buttonhole missing, or, or not buttonhole, that uh, belt loop missing, or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So the last panel of the mural was a mom pushing a stroller, and you could see like a baby hand kind of coming oh, up. Cute. So like the very end, it was like hopeful. You know, obviously this is a survivor. Like. He or she has lived long enough to have a kid, you know, so it was a kind of full spectrum thing, like celebrating, you know, how long the relay has been around, um, how much they've helped people. And, you know, that like there is hope you can, you know, overcome this disease. Is the mural still there? Um, the mural is in storage. We oh. couldn't find a place to permanently display oh, okay. it. So we it's did, on wood panels, you said. Yeah. yeah. We did have an art show at a gallery um, down in Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. And we also made, um, my team members and I, some pieces of art to sell with all of the proceeds going to the American Cancer Society. So it was an extra way for our team to raise money. That's, that's a really great creative way when people can find some other way to do things. Yeah. I mean, you've already, you've always struck me as one of those people that kind of does things your way and finds a way to make something yours, to put your mark, a mark on it, your watermark on it. So that's good. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I also know that, that, uh, um, a major like 20 foot red letter neon letters on the, on a giant mountain, duh. You're a huge feminist, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. And I know you and I have had a lot of conversations about that. Yeah. Um, Growing up in Orange County, um, and this not only, I guess, covers feminism, but also covers classism and racism and all kinds of other things. All those terrible intersectional issues. (laughs) By the way, I I have family living there right now. They've told me horrible stories. Uh, Extended family, but the horrible stories mm-hmm. on how they're discriminated against and mm-hmm. how subtle it is and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I, I didn't think. It, and this is an interesting thing because I'm an outsider. I'm not. I'm not from California. I'm not even from the states. So coming here, I thought, hey man, especially California, uh, this is going to be like an awesome place right. where people are tolerated, <laughs> right. forward thinking. A lot of the yeah. laws get passed here first. And no, it's the opposite. There's counties that are completely conservative and racist, and there's counties that are liberal. But you got you got to be aware of that. Right. California has a cross section of America in in it in the state. I well, mean, you go up to you go up to uh, up the five to uh, some of those places up there, and it's like it's like the South. It's yeah. you know you got rednecks and and meth labs and blah blah blah, and then you got Orange County, which is. Um, rich white folk who want to keep it that way and or yep. you know upper middle class white folk who want to keep it that way <laughs> yeah well and when you consider that one in ten Americans lives in California yeah. you know you're not going to have a state that's uniform across the board mm-hmm. like we are completely like that American melting pot that mm-hmm. you hear so much about yeah um, in terms of growing up in Orange County like I am very grateful for, you know, where I grew up and all of the uh, economic privileges that I had. Like I said, I was taking private art lessons as a kid, and I know that's something that, you know, not everyone has access to, which is unfortunate. Um, I also grew up uh, five minutes from the beach. I could, you know, hop on my bike, put my surfboard on my bike rack, and, you know, just 
go surfing whenever I wanted to, and it was gorgeous. Um, so that's, you know, the good part of growing up in Orange County. It's very safe. It's very clean, very, you know, family-friendly, family-oriented. But if you just, like, barely poke the surface, like, you don't even have to scratch, just, just touch it a little, you'll find all of this, like, racism and classism and sexism. Like I said, all of those disgusting, like, intersectional issues that you know, tend to stem from, like, privilege. So it's kind of like Stepford Wives, where it yeah. all looks crisp and vanilla. Yeah, and then as yeah. soon as you, like, you know, <laughs> what's this? Oh, whoa, something come out of my finger. Right? But yeah. see, I, and I know you and I have both run into people where, um, who grew up in Orange County, who are people of color or people mm-hmm. of, you know, who you, one wouldn't normally consider to be, quote-unquote, privileged, who mm-hmm. totally deny that ever happened, who totally right. deny that that stuff exists out there. Which and- is so weird, you know? It's like, one, you're either completely blind to it, or, you know, you are purposefully staying ignorant. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand how somebody could not experience it, um, especially when it's so I understand it so because the, the humans are interesting. In, in, in terms of psychologically speaking, you know, you don't, you know... Your brain adapts and, and uh, tries to protect you. From yeah, you filter stuff out. So yeah. you have defense mechanisms. And a lot of people, I've been a lot of people like that. They, 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 they have a routine. Their life is safe in a way. They don't want to mm-hmm. really acknowledge the reality of things. One of the things, and I, I, I hate to like deviate the conversation a little bit, but I think it, it's in the wheelhouse that I've been talking to people a lot about uh, the Ferguson thing. I was just oh, getting Jesus. ready to ta- start talking and, about and, that. And, and what really makes me mad and makes my blood boil is how those people can be so emotionally detached and ignore the fact that someone was executed by saying, oh, I, I, don't, I don't have an opinion yet because there's not enough data. There's what, not enough information. What more information do you need? We have witness upon witness. We have footage. recordings. Video yeah. footage. Exactly. Audio footage. Like, we have cops on camera threatening to kill the media. Like, what more could you possibly want? That was crazy, by the way. Growing up... It was really crazy. It's fucking fascist. (laughs) Growing up as an an ignorant white white boy in Colorado who thought that Public Enemy was going to come and kill me in my sleep. Don't believe the hype. Hey, Mike. Duh. We all thought that. (laughs) (laughs) But as you know, Flavor Flav said, don't believe the hype, and that goes both ways, and it's absolutely true. They were just they were doing a thing with uh, anyway. But but growing up, in my you know every every evening, my dad watched the news, the local news, and and you grow up believing that oh well, this is happening over in this neighborhood, and this is happening on this side of town, and this is happening to these people of this skin color or this econ- socioeconomic status. But it's not happening to you. This is just what's going on over here, mm-hmm. and you grow up believing that. Oh well, I'm not experiencing this thing myself, so it must not really be happening, you know. But the thing that I've become more aware of as I get older is is anybody who denies this stuff is just so completely, as you said, uh, blind or willfully ignorant because it's everywhere, all the time, yeah, all the goddamn we're, we're time. We're living in a desensitized uh, society. Yeah, and that's and, one of the yeah. things yeah. I wanted to talk about is we live in a culture that promotes both internalized misogyny and internalized racism. Um, growing up as a Latina woman in Orange County, it's really interesting. You know, people don't assume that I'm Latina because I'm, you know, eloquent and articulate, I'm well educated. 
Um, I'm You're very not, light-skinned, too. Yeah, you don't, yeah, I'm not as dark as, you know, some Latina people or, you, you have know, purple hair instead of brown hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can still see my eyebrows are my natural color, so true. there's that. Um, but, you know, there are so many other Latinas that I run into in Orange County who have just completely swallowed the internalized racism pill, mm. you know, where they're very self-hating. And I don't think that a lot of them are aware of how what they're doing shows that they've internalized racism or shows that they've, you know, they become like self-hating. It. Yeah, it's just so much a part of our culture. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. It's mm. the food we eat. They don't even know that they're doing it. They're completely ignorant and unaware of the fact that they're doing it. You know that Chris Rock has a documentary uh, called uh, Bad Hair, I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so he, he tackles a lot of these things, and, and one of the things he found is it's indoctrination, what what, what yeah. makes right. people uh, not notice that they're hating themselves or whatever. He, he has this interesting part in the documentary where he, he shows Barbie dolls to like little black girls, and he tells them to point at the ones they think are ugly and the ones they think are pretty. And all of them pointed to the black one as ugly. And th these were girls that were like three, four years old. Right. So even at that early age, because of the way that the media portrays um, it's, racial stereotypes, it's, it's symptomatic in of living in a white supremacist culture. Um, and it's symptomatic of living in a culture that enforces very harshly on women white beauty standards. You know, yes. like yeah. the light skin and light blonde skin, hair blonde hair, straight thin, hair, you know, yeah. blue eyes, <clears throat> like all of that stuff. Even somebody who is deeply immersed in through his work in his own culture like Tyler Perry mm -hmm. yeah. that stuff comes out in his stuff yeah especially in the terms of a lot of religious stuff and a lot of in his a lot of his movies a lot of his works the woman who cheats winds up with AIDS or, or he is so into punishing women yeah, for yeah, having yeah, sex yeah, like is, in yeah. the Tyler Perry universe women are not yeah. allowed to enjoy sex He's at very, all or very, they will yeah. be punished it's so weird I and like so bad yeah. yeah this is why it's so refreshing to me to watch foreign media because it's so it's colorblind so it's, so it's so colorblind so different. it's culturally agnostic in a lot of ways I really love French movies yeah um, they're one really well written, but they're also not afraid of sex. Um, no, yeah. Having... I mean, look at the opening scene of Betty Blue. Yeah. In the opening scene of Betty Blue, they're just fucking on a bed, and you're just like, eh, 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 you know, and that's that's the opening of the film, and mm -hmm. that sets the tone for the whole film. Is here's this guy, and here's this girl, and there's a relationship, and they move into this house, and she just kind of goes crazy because she's got bad wiring, and it's not anything that she did, and it's not anything. It's just that it's a thing that happened. To yeah. Her. It's yeah. it's it's a bio, you know, it's a it's a psychological she has a psychological breakdown. Well, and we, we have a, a really good filmmaker. It's a French import, uh, Michel Gondry. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love I like. Well, Films are amazing. Yeah. yeah, and some he did music, some music videos too. Um, having studied in Italy for a summer, one thing that I noticed is that Europeans uh, treat violence the way we treat sex. Yeah, you know, yeah. where like yeah. they can't they fucking it. handle violence. They abhor like, it. They just like, oh my god, like you're right. They do abhor it, but I mean, sex, it's like, right. sure, fine, we're all consenting adults here, like. 
Game well, on. From what I, what I, I've never traveled to Italy, but from what I was always told, like Italian television after ten, it's basically a lot of. There's a lot more sexual content on yeah. regular over the air television. Yeah, like it's like softcore. It's I like can, it I becomes can, Skinamax at night. I can vouch for that because I, I went, I went to Rome and I, I thought that was really interesting. Did you get pinched it was. <laughs> on, that bridge, on that bridge or with that square wherever the man? You're talking. In. You're talking about like a a, a more. Um, you know, morally different country. Well, the well thing, that it's, thing... it's interesting because Italy is such a Catholic country, too. Yeah. Um, you know, so... But think about this. I took a Mesoamerican history class back in college, back in another life, and <laughs> this is like Mesoamerican history. It's all about Central America and the Maya and the Inca and the Aztec and Aye, all this. my people! Yes, it was, and it was great. <laughs> and I was fascinated because, you know, the archaeology aspect and the, and the anthropological aspect and all of these things, and I loved it. And the, the, the teacher was Latino, and, and, and he walks in first day, draws a big circle on the board and says, I would like to start off by talking about Dr. Carl Jung. And I was just like, my head splody, like, wow! <laughs> and you, that... That Jungian cycle really does apply to everything. Jung hit on something that's so tapped in so precisely to the human condition at all points in history, at all levels, in all races, in all cultures, Can in you all it? everything. Can you the Jungian cycle is basically the cycle between between ascendance and decadence. If you look at the circle and you start from 12 o'clock and you go down, that's the deca decadence, you're decaying. You're going down to your lowest point at the bottom at 6 o'clock. And then, and then when that happens, then you start the journey back up toward ascendance again. And this is where um, you know the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, the yeah. Egyptian Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the blah, 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 blah. But you look at, you look at the history of Europe Europe, where the history comes from, as Eddie Izzard says, <laughs> they actually, they've been around for thousands of years. Their culture's been around for thousands of years. Of course they're going to be more enlightened than we are. Of course they're going to be. They've had enough of war because they've had millennia of war to, to recover from and rebuild from. And we're, uh, this country's only 238, 239 years old, and it's it's just... We're, we're still that decadent, violent, impulsive teenager, a country founded by Puritans who were mm. kicked out of England, not really kicked out of England, mm. who left England of their own accord. Because it wasn't because, religious enough. Because they were no longer <laughs> allowed. Exactly. They passed laws in Europe and England that, yeah. that, that disallowed them from being able to persecute people for religious reasons. That's why they moved here. That's why. And then, and like, then my, people don't understand that like the Puritans were the crazy religious people yeah. who were too religious and too crazy crazy for yeah. Europeans at the time. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, Europe, Europe had the Spanish Inquisition, but the Puritans were a little, these guys are a little bit, you know, they're the, they're the ones at the party that they all kind of hover over in the corner and go, yeah, don't talk to that guy. He's America's just all sorts of crazy. I mean, yeah. so, like, what kind of stuff were you into as a kid? What, what kind of, obviously you grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, mm -hmm. so what kind of stuff did you watch when you were a kid and, and stuff that still sticks with you today that resonates with you that that hasn't been completely dismantled by your <laughs> more enlightened you know political or you know socio-political perspective um i feel like there was a lot of cartoons in the 90s that hit on you know very relevant social justice economic justice uh type topics uh, first thing that comes to mind is Captain Planet. Captain Planet, I was just going to say. Captain yeah, Planet. Yeah, yeah. I love Captain Which everybody, Planet. Which everybody shits on Captain Planet now and makes fun of it. But when you go back and look at it, it was like, wow, he was just like 
trying to clean up the world and trying mm-hmm. to make everything better and hey what yeah. the hell's wrong with that and people always get me it's like it's just like Jesus it's like here's a guy who says well, hey wouldn't it be great to be nice to everybody for a change and we fucking kill them you know I mean yeah it's, yeah well, well that's what we do yeah. to peacemakers yeah yeah that's what Bill Hicks said it's like and we kill these people mm-hmm. the opposite side yeah. of the Captain Planet I think it was like Street Sharks where it was like <laughs> oh jeez well the, yeah the it was, outcome ca- of it was, it was Captain Planet and then everything else was like war violence you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, yeah. and, and Mask and other you know Transformers wait wait no and, no don't hate on TMNT well I'm not I'm not don't I'm just hate. saying from a from a, from a um, you know that perspective yeah. it's, it's a very yeah. different cartoon from Captain but it's Planet interesting I, mean, that you make, I, you make I that watched um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid too yeah, yeah. but the thing that resonated with me more was definitely Captain Planet cool. um, and I grew up in a very strong environmentalist family uh, my grandpa is a member of the Sierra Club was on the board for a while both of my parents um, because of their Catholic upbringing feel that you know it's uh, humans jobs to be stewards of God's creation so you know we were all about like recycling and you know trying to save the rainforest and stopping nuclear power all that stuff so Captain Planet was just kind of one of those things it's like this is so cool you know (laughs) um what did you watch any like PBS stuff and and uh like yeah. you know the the educational stuff yeah. or even the artistic stuff like like did you watch Bob Ross when you were a kid Um I watched a little bit of Bob Ross he was a little you know boring for me as a preschooler <laughs> but I did I did all the classics like Sesame Street oh, and cool. you know Mr. Rogers um stuff like that um Were you were you saying you were in, were you inspired by the more like weird off the wall like cuz cuz I grew up in the same time as you and I remember as a kid having my mind blown by Ren and Stimpy and stuff like that. Yeah, I loved Ren and Stimpy. Um, I loved the Beetlejuice cartoon yeah. that yeah. came out. In the yeah, 90s. there was a lot of really amazing cartoon stuff in the nineties. The and stuff that was oh for God. stuff that was for kids. Stuff that was intended Nickelodeon and uh, uh, MTV and, and th- th- things and WB things that were <clears throat> intended for children. Smart stuff. Stuff that made you think. Stuff that was weird. Stuff that wasn't mm-hmm. sugary milk toast. Because in the eighties, <laughs> a lot of the cartoons there were definitely boys' cartoons. <laughs> and there were definitely girls cartoons and yeah. you know all the girls was strawberry shortcake and my and the original my little pony mm-hmm. and you know um uh, stuff like that and then the boys was all he-man and blah, blah, and then they made she-ra for girls and you know and 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 that was still the thing is about and i've talked about this before in the 70s like in the afternoon there was nothing on tv for kids that was made for kids we watched old old sitcom reruns from the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. then in the 80s in the early 80s they started showing making things toy companies said let's make cartoons we'll produce cartoons that'll get kids to go and buy toys and buy all the characters and action yeah. figures and stuff because that was all from George George Lucas started that mm-hmm. whole thing and they thought yeah. wow if we make a cartoon if we make a vehicle for these to sell this stuff to kids they'll buy it and it was true we all had G.I. Joe's and we all had you know this and Transformers and this and that. What's really funny is my parents uh, sometimes wonder how I ended up in the goth scene, but like I grew up watching like the Adams Family and yes. you know the Twilight Zone, and then later like the Adams <laughs> Family movie and Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas and all of these like Tim Burton movies that came out, you know, Real in the nineties when I was a kid. Yeah, like I watched all that stuff with my dad or with my mom and my dad, and they're like, "How did you end up in the goth scene? Like, how did this happen?" And like really yeah really you, you don't remember same. all that goth media that but, i consumed you know, that, as a kid now, like <laughs> now that you mentioned that it, it makes a lot of sense like i grew up with the same movies for me it was like edward scissorhands that, that was the movie oh that my god i was like oh Loved my god it. this is so cool Loved so it. <laughs> my i was always 
there was no goth when I was a kid. This is, I mean, when I was growing up in the seventies, I mean, goth didn't even become a thing in England until Bauhaus seventy seven. Yeah, you know, and that stuff didn't come to America until well into the eighties, and and so I wasn't exposed to any of that until mid eighties. So, but as a child, I remember always gravitating toward. Uh, Universal Monsters, Classic Monsters, Dracula, mm-hmm. Frankenstein, Wolfman, and like even watching The Electric Company, an educational show. Tom Lehrer did some some amazing songs. I love Tom right. Lehrer, and he did the um, the Ly song. And there was a segment at the very end of the of the uh, of the um, Ly song. The last verse is. Um, you walk into a darkened room and sitting there in the gloom is Dracula and there's Dracula and I was just like as a kid and 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 just even when there was a little touch of something like that in the context of another thing I gravitated toward it Morgan Freeman always played a, a, a vampire character on Electric Company as well and they gave him a widow's peak and fangs and the you know <laughs> the 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 cloak and the and the um the the cape like uh, Bella Lugosi had and um you know and just gravitating toward all that stuff and then when I when a kid introduced me to gothic death rock in 1985 I'm like oh my god this sounds like hammer horror music like from a move from a horror movie I love this and just <laughs> gravitated toward it. but it was all there always in in little things like that little an episode here or a thing yeah. like that the Halloween the great pumpkin Charlie Brown and mm-hmm. stuff like that Halloween so, was always my favorite yeah, holiday like yeah. I really think goths aren't made they're born yeah like yeah. you know eventually you just find your home you have that dark in the goth soul. scene yeah well you think about somebody mm-hmm. like like uh mary shelley of wollstonecraft or or uh, creator uh, of science fiction right lord byron <laughs> and the, those people with dark souls and and they've always been around you know voltaire and other people and you know, all these other um authors and and artists and and philosophers who had that dark element to them yeah and it's just carried through i mean that's where it all came from originally. Just to kind of sidetrack for a second, sure. I never understood why um, some guys in the sci-fi community can be so sexist and oh. so misogynist when the entire fucking genre was created by a woman. Frankenstein is the first <laughs> piece of science fiction ever created. Like, yes. that thing that you enjoy <clears throat> that you are trying to shut women out of was created by a woman. Yeah. Like, you just failed at your fandom, yeah, bro. Yeah. For yeah, real. Have to learn that. Well, I think, I think the thing that we're learning now that nerd culture has become the norm is that it once again illustrates that these problems are endemic and they are mm-hmm. everywhere and there's no denying them right. whatsoever. And Actually, like every single fandom or nerd culture, you know, sci-fi, whatever, it's a microcosm of, you know, the culture at large. So of course you're going to have, you know, the same problems like sexism, like, you know, subtle racism and stuff like that, you know, in the fandoms and in nerd culture that you have outside of it. I would say in nerdum it's even it's even more apparent uh, because these people are you know some of them are really isolated and they have very particular tastes and and one thing that I hate is that it seems like the internet has given way to uh, this sort of like circle jerk culture and, and, yeah. and, and with nerds whereas you know back in the day when I was a little kid it wasn't uh, you know hailed as like a cool thing to be or anything it wasn't so popular so when you met another nerd. You were really tolerant of this person. You were just grateful to have a friend. Right, because you, you just had a yeah. shared interest. You what, know? what about childhood heroes? I mean, who who did you really admire? Uh, I know I talked about like pop culture references mm-hmm. and things like that that stuck with you. What about people? What about people who created that sort of stuff, like nerd creators? 
that stuck with you? Um, I've always loved Frida Kahlo. Mm -hmm. Love her work. Love her politics. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people forget that she was a communist. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. You know, and they try and remove uh, her politics from her work, which you can't fucking do because then you remove the soul from her work. Um, But, you know, she was an amazing artist, an amazing person, uh, very smart, you know, very caring. Um, and I just, I adore her work. It's, it's very dreamlike. Um, so that's what, what about like me. music, movie, TV kind of influences? Music, movie, TV. Um, loved Xena. Loved oh, yeah, Buffy. There you go. <laughs> um, and it was really great to see like a strong female character mm-hmm. who had dark hair for mm-hmm. once. Oh yeah, um, instead of a blonde, right? Yeah, yeah. Wonder um, Woman. Wonder Woman, another classic dark exactly. hair, strong character. Um, I loved Wonder Woman. I loved Catwoman yeah. um, and Batgirl. Um, Batman the Animated se- Series yeah. did a really good job of featuring, you know, a lot of uh, the cool women in the Batman universe yeah, who yeah. hang out in Gotham. Yeah. So. I remember in kindergarten, um, I think, actually, yeah, the whole year in kindergarten, I was Batgirl. Like, I got the Halloween costume, and then I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay with this. Like, this is really working <laughs> for me. Um, I'm just, I'm going to be Batgirl right now, you guys. Like All that, right, cool. online comic strip of the kid, the, the, the illustrated thing of the kid who wears the dinosaur costume and then keeps getting in trouble because he yeah he is a dinosaur in his yeah. mind. Yeah, I was that kid. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> You know, yeah. I was Batgirl. I, mean, I, was, I was playing Doctor <laughs> Who. I mean, on the on the playground in the seventies, and then and then when I was fourteen, I was going around telling everybody I was I was Gallifreyan and I was a Time Lord, mm-hmm. and people thought I was nuts, and I was. <laughs> but I mean, I was like doing a LARP for a year at school and didn't even realize I was doing LARP. So right? it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were there were stuff people signed my yearbook and said, "Yeah, great to meet you, Tardis man," and stuff like that. All of it misspelled Tardis. Actually, it's spelled T A R D I S. Is this the portion of the show where we use our nerd voices? We use our nerd voices. <laughs> um, it was sober all over the microphone. <laughs> Excuse me, I got some spittle. Um, uh, what about things like like the Muppets, like like Jim Henson and other? Did that did that um, ever catch? Was that in your sphere or not? Or I think I was the generation that just missed the Muppets mm, during um, that hiatus between TV and movies. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never really did uh, Muppets. Um, one thing that was big for me as an artist was Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Fucking Anime, loved yeah. Sailor Moon, yeah. um, and that was one of the first animes to ever come over. I think. It was that Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. No, actually, yeah. before before actually before that. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I was Are watching. We... I was watching uh, um, Gotcha Man or the Sandy Frank presents yeah. uh, Battle of the Planets back in the seventy late seventies. There was also um, a couple Miyazaki movies that made it over in like the early nineties, like My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. Um, Princess Mononoke. They were loved they were that. playing Speed Racer here in the mid seventies. Right. In oh, and markets. Akira. Yeah. Akira came over in the eighties, yeah. although I didn't see that. Until I remember growing later. up with. Uh, with Gatchaman as well, and, and like Ultraman. Do so you get to see the original Japanese? Oh my probably god! And like, um, right? what was yeah. it called in America? It was Macross in Japan. Was it like? Oh, it was oh, Robotech. Yeah, 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 it was Robotech. Macross Saga, and then the one after that. I yeah. always, I always preferred Macross, and Me then the, too. One, the one after that I didn't like as well. But um, it was less actiony and more soap opera y. Mm-hmm. It was very much a soap opera. Yeah. Um, and then there was that other one. What's the one with the giant? With the giant. Uh, um, Aircraft carrier and blue aircraft carrier in space. 
what was that one called? Like Sundown, Sunrise, Sun uh, something. Yeah, yeah, you know I know what I'm talking, talking about. about. Sun it's Star. Like, it's like a like. submarine that got kind of, but it looked like an aircraft carrier, and they actually yeah. had ships that would take off from it. And the captain had a big old, you know, yeah, one of those yeah, yeah. white. They're making a hats. movie of that. Actually, are they? Oh, okay, yes, they are. Okay. Bizarre. But yeah, yeah. I really hope they don't cast white people to play. They will. All the roles. Just like they cast white people in Exodus. Yeah, the Ridley Scott movie. And, Just and like they cast white people to play every <laughs> single god and goddess in the Egyptian pantheon in that <laughs> god awful movie that's coming out. Yeah. Just like yeah. they cast a white woman to play the major in Ghost in the Shell. Like that's the one that gets me. Oh, that that pissed me off. Yeah. That just pissed me off. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen Ghost in the Shell, it is so Japanese. Like it takes place in Tokyo. Like all of you know the story has Same a very with Japanese feel to it. And they're remaking Akira too. In New York, that doesn't make sense because that movie came out oh of World God. War II strife, and and you know it's a Japanese film. Right. Uh, at least with, at least with Pacific Rim, that was a, a story that was set in not in Japan, and it it's was a Japanese. It's a Japanese idea. You know, it definitely comes from a Japanese cultural thing. But but um, uh, uh, Del Toro took it and made it into a multicultural thing. Well, it was anime with like a forty-seven or however many million-dollar budget. Which was great. There were even great. like poses that were straight out of Gundam, you know, right, like right. when the sword. yeah, when it's it went into awesome. sword mode, like, and he pulls it out, like that is straight out of like yeah, yeah. every single Gundam. Well, Voltron. Ever. We watched Vol- I watched both both <laughs> iterations know, of Voltron. What I, up I, as I well. felt like I was watching Neon Genesis Evangelion when I was when I watched Pacific Rim because. Even the chick looks like the chick in the in the anime. She does look a little like Rei Ayanami, um, except she doesn't have red eyes and blue hair, and yeah. she's not some crazy clone Depressed, creation quiet thing. Lady. But. Yeah, um, but I loved Mako. She was an amazing character, and I honestly wanted more from her in the movie instead of the main guy, who was kind of like you know Blandy Mc. Milk toaster son. Yeah, to yeah. be honest. But at least he wasn't a macho shithead. No, so that's he wasn't. Good. That's good. He wasn't a macho shithead, but he just he kind of didn't have too much of a personality. You so know? what do you guys think about Transformers and Michael Bay? I'm just, oh. joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. 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 So we try to keep things positive, and I know we've been talking about a lot of stuff that that, that garners our ire, but we... we but you I know, think it's important to talk about course, these issues, course, especially within the nerd especially community. Especially since so many people just flat out deny that they exist. Yeah. Wait, we have a black president now. Uh, that means oh racism is over. I literally nope. went on a date with a guy Let me tell you a little story about a man named that. Nope. <laughs> I went on a date with this guy who said that. Um, we were out for sushi, and, you know, I made a joke about, like, white privilege or something. I'm like, oh, it's terrible. I have to laugh so I don't cry. And he's like, well, don't you know? Racism is over. Obama's president. And I kind of paused. I was like, are you, are you joking? I don't Please know tell if me you're, you're being joking. ironic right now. Yeah. So I was like, oh, if you were being sarcastic, yeah. didn't pick it up with your tone he's like no i'm serious like we have a black president like we've defeated racism and i was like you know what really sorry um (laughs) here's 20 bucks i'm gonna i'm gonna go i'm gonna scoot like right now (laughs) yeah good luck to you buddy yeah that's great that was one of the worst first dates i've ever been on you know you you know michael i know you post a lot of things on facebook that are interesting two articles you posted probably too much but yeah two articles you posted 
make it obvious that racism's not over. The one about the uh, uh, American Apparel employee, and the um, one about the guy who cha- changed his name from Jose to Joe, Joe. and yeah. got a job that way. Yeah. Although I had a friend who said, if you you need a job and you need to get callbacks, it sucks, but drop a, dropping a letter on your name maybe something you have to do. I mean, I don't want to put the onus on somebody like that, but I mean, I had somebody who who is. Uh, not a not white person who says I've done the same thing and I got jobs because of it. You yeah, know? I mean this is the reality that we live yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, um, it's that it just further further you know? cements in stone and proves in a shadow of a doubt that it's endemic to but our But even culture. just, you know, go on social media, go on Twitter, and you'll see that racism isn't over. Like, all of the shit that conservatives post about Obama, it's just so racist. And they're like, it's not about race, he's a bad president. And I'm like, then why did you Photoshop him onto an African witch doctor? Because that's pretty fucking racist. Why did you, photo- I don't know why about did you, you Photoshop him eating or eating fried chicken or, you know, I mean, yeah. just all this. <clears throat> I want to ask you, do you feel like our generation is more racist? As I feel like more than ever, the racists in my generation are unapologetically racist. And they're out there. And uh, it's interesting. You know, going back to when I was single, like five years ago, I tried online dating. And it was interesting how, you know, I, I was open to every type of race and whatever. And the only women that replied to me were women that looked like me. Uh, that, that's interesting. And then I read an interesting article saying that uh, OKCupid actually ran statistics on their website, mm-hmm. and they found out that uh, yeah. people mostly race, uh, date their own race on OKCupid. And those are people from my generation. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I think that's been a thing for a long time. Or a, I mean, we're obviously seeing it less and less, but it's still the vast majority, most people stick well, I mean, within their race group. Like, you even look at, you know, the controversy, which should never have happened, around the uh, interracial Cheerios commercial. It's oh, like, yeah. really? This is 2014? Like, yeah. why is this still an issue? You yeah. should all be embarrassed of yeah. yourselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I did read um, a study that said that uh, people 36 and under are less racist. Um, not that they're not you know, completely without their racial prejudices and stuff like that. But they are less racist. I call them racial tics. <laughs> well, like, it's like that college humor <laughs> video or whatever that came out that was like, diet racism, when yeah. you diet just racism. don't get it, you yeah, know? And yeah. it's like this white woman folding laundry, and she's like, it would be easier for my kids to get into the Ivy League if there weren't affirmative action. And it's like, <laughs> you seriously do not fucking understand what it's like to be a person of color in America. Just, yeah. like, just you don't. shut yeah, up. Yeah, you're, you're living in a bubble. Like, John Stewart it, John said Stewart. it perfectly, man. He's like... Uh, you know, just imagine having to deal with this every day yeah. and whatever. If you're tired of hearing about it, imagine having to live it every fucking day. Yeah. And that's that's it. Whether you're a woman, whether you're a person of color, whether you're a person of poverty, you know, in the below the poverty line, whether whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If you're not a rich white dude. And this goes back to the fact that, you know, if you want liberty, you have to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. I think Thomas Jefferson said that in the and the fact is that we're Getting more and more removed from the '60s and and you know the the women's liberation and the you know civil rights uh, improvements and all that stuff. Well, and I people do, are forgetting about. I do it. want to stop you. I think feminism is coming back. I mean, Beyonce at the VMAs gave her performance and had in big feminism. letters. This is what feminist. feminism looks yeah. like. It's not. It's not angry, hairy, armpitted, no bra wearing, dreadlocked. Yeah. 
you know, angry white women. It's not that, you know, lesbian yeah. man-haters. It's, yeah, it's, like, you can't say all lesbians are ugly bull dykes who just right. can't get a man anymore because right. Beyonce came out as a feminist. Taylor Swift also said, you know what, I didn't understand what feminism was when I was younger, but I do now, and I'm a feminist. Not only that, but during Beyonce's performance, Jay-Z was the one tending to their kid. So she's not only showing that, you know, feminists are pretty, but feminists can love men, they can have a family, while, you know, and a career, being a feminist. And everything, right. Yeah, right. like, still... you really can have it all. Now, so, if we only had that with race, maybe Beyonce herself could come out and say, hey, you know, racism exists. People, you know, like, let's just do something about it. You know, not only against black people, but minorities in general. And, yeah, yeah. I know Kimora Lee Simmons uh, offered to pay for Mike Brown's funeral. Uh, Mike Brown, the kid who was executed in Ferguson, yep, yep. Uh, for those who don't know. Yeah. Um, she offered to pay for the whole thing. I don't know if it actually happened. I didn't follow up on that. Um, so, you know, Google away. But who, we do have I'm some... I'm sorry, I missed who you said. Kimora Lee Simmons. Oh, okay. uh, she was married to Russell Simmons. Is still oh, married yeah, to yeah. Russell Simmons? Uh, I don't I don't know. Um, I just know she was like, yep, I'll pay for the funeral. Like, what else do you guys need? Like, have some money. Yeah. yeah you know, which yeah. was really cool. Yeah. Um, so I do think feminism is uh, having, you know, a bit of a heyday or a comeback, you know. Um, technically, we're in third wave feminism. Uh, second wave was during the 70s, like you were talking about. The bra burners. Um, or the yeah. post-bra burners. ERA, ERA, post-ERA movement. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. 70s are fascinating because... Black people were wearing their afros, proud, and all that stuff. But I, I love me, I love me generation, some 70s afros. <laughs> but, then, but then a generation after that, it was like the opposite. It was like everyone was trying to have straight hair. Yep, yep. Well, be white I think and whenever stuff. you make progress, there's always going to be a pushback from the entrenched power structure who sees, you know, some of their privilege and some of their power going away. And you know, that's why they call it a struggle. It really is. Case in point with the hair, look at Prince's album for you in 1978, full giant afro, yeah. you know, Martha Martha Davis style afro, then Prince 1979, long, curly, you know, falling, tumbling curls on his album Prince in 79. That was a transition. Yeah. Now, he, now he has a fro again. He's got a fro again, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 Jungian cycles, Jungian cycles. How are we talking yeah. about Prince? I don't know how we got here. But. Oh, yeah. Why are we not, <laughs> talking, are we not about talking about Prince? Prince? That's what I'm <laughs> talking about. Good point. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, um, uh, Kitty, uh, plug your shit. What do you got? What do you, what do you, what, um, talk about your online presence, talk about, okay. um, you know, art shows, anything you got coming up? Yeah. Um, well right now I am looking for more freelance clients and I just launched a new website dedicated solely to my graphic design work. You can check that out at www.kittybrowndesigns.com and you can see all of the stuff that I've been doing for the last 10 years for various clients. Um, you know, check out my work. If you need a logo, you need some packaging, you need print ads, you need web ads, social media graphics. Like, I really am a graphic design Jill of all trades. So anything you need, I can definitely help you with. Cool. You, you also don't. You also have a public uh, Facebook presence as well. Um, a public page, or is it only your personal um, page? It's only my personal okay, page. Right. I haven't launched um, my public fan page yet. I'm still getting around to that. What about, are you on Twitter? Are you on... I am on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Kitty Brown. Um, that's my handle. 
And let's see, what else am I Are you I doing on? any Instagram or, or any other kind of picturey stuff or imager um, or I need, anything like that? I need to get on Instagram. I fought getting on Instagram for so long because I'm like, I don't get it. It's filters. Like, why would I? I'm a graphic designer. Why do I, why do, I do this? But yeah. uh, people hmm. seem to be migrating to Instagram a lot. Um, well, Instagram is a lot of, a lot of the younger kids, the... the, the you know, high schoolers and younger, they don't do Facebook much anymore. They have Facebook yeah. presences. Spend a lot more time. Well, on when your mom and dad are on Facebook, it, and the Vine, yeah. they do the I just, Vine. I just, I just went too. to Hollywood. I went to Hollywood to a, um, like, we're actually in Hollywood, but I came here yeah. for a. Um, it was like a show with different artists that do Instagram, and a lot of them come from like classical backgrounds and stuff like that. And it, it was kind of fascinating. I, I was really skeptical. I thought, hey, Instagram, like, it's not a great thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But some of some of them were doing interesting things, like documenting their lives and. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, There's people who do like a way. picture a day, picture of a, a day. Yeah, there yeah. There was that one lady. I don't remember more, if that was more than a show, but was it was Instagram where she was. There was a lady who was being abused, and she was taking pictures of her face every day. Oh, oh that's horrible. Yeah. It was it yeah. was it was hard to watch, but yeah, it was. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't say beyond a doubt that they're you know whatever you think is not out there it's there yeah somewhere yeah somewhere somebody is not having a good time of it yeah for various reasons oh man i got 99 problems and most of them are rich white heterosexual males (laughs) for real (laughs) and i'm not a rich but i am a white heterosexual male and i find problems with that too Mm -hmm. i you know i'm tired of being screwed (laughs) over every day myself Yep. And but even though I'm perfectly well aware that I there's things just because I'm a white guy I enjoy and I just don't have to worry about. To put it kind of in nerdy terms, think of it um, as video game modes. You know, like mm. if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, if you know you're LGBTQ, you are playing life on hard mode. Um, if you have any intersectional identities, like you're a queer woman of color, you're playing on nightmare mode. Mm-hmm. And like being a white straight dude is easy mode. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of video games, do you play? Do you have any? Consoles, computers, whatever. Do you, do you um, play? I haven't played in a while, but I have a soft spot for certain franchises. I love Soul Calibur. Mm-hmm. I love oh. Legend of Zelda. Awesome. Love, love, love Final Fantasy. Um, you still play Final Fantasy? Uh, I kind of gave up recently. after after 10-2. Yeah, yeah, I that's kind of when I gave up. But I like to replay seven. You know, there's a lot of oh, there's the a lot of internet one. buzz about about um, <clears throat> Zelda for Wii U, the the, the, mm-hmm. the next game oh, that they're working on. Awesome, it looks really, it good. looks really good. Yeah, I might buy a Wii U just for that game. Yeah. I, I want to buy the Yo- the Yoshi one. Yeah, the one where everything's fabric. Oh, mm-hmm. it looks so cool. Looks but actually, fun. no, that one's only for 3DS. I thought. No, no, it's for the Wii U. Oh, is it coming out? It's coming out early next year. Okay, and I'm gonna buy that the new 3DS mm. and it has the actual yeah, yeah. Famicom uh, colors on yeah, the buttons yeah that's mm-hmm. cool. cool that's cool alright great well um, yeah anything else you want to plug or talk about or, or um trying to think I mean there are so many other things I want what, to talk about what about, what about links for uh, people that would like to learn more about feminism and stuff like that ooh that's a really good question um, I would say check out anything by Jessica Valenti she's an author she has uh, four or five books out there that are really great um, they're short they're easy reads they're written in plain language like she writes how someone from New York would talk so it's a really fun read uh, she also has a blog called feministing. Oh yeah. Dot com. I just joined that. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of my favorites. Um, Who's the um, 
the um, she looks like she's in her twenties, wears glasses, and does a lot of videos about feminism and stuff, and um, talks about so it's like sex plus. Oh yeah, she's really I can't remember her name right now. But she's really I cool can't remember too. her name she's either. On Facebook, but, she's but if you look amazing. up sex plus, that's the plus sign. Sex mm-hmm. plus, I think that's pretty much her thing everywhere. Yeah, so. I also love anything that uh, Lindy West has ever written. Uh, she was a staff writer for Jezebel for a long time, and she just left this weekend. Mm. She is working on a book and she's running a blog so check her stuff out hmm. um, yeah, very else? cool All right. yeah. I, I'm you know occasionally putting what I can I haven't been able we haven't we brought for a week because of uh, holiday weekend and, and you know schedule conflicts and stuff but I'm glad I'm really glad um, that uh, we were able to have you as our first guest I'm really very happy that, uh, that our first guest was a woman and that makes mm-hmm. that was really important to me. Well, thank so you so that, much for having yeah, me. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, so that's going to wrap it up for now, and we'll be back uh, when we can be. And uh, please remember, please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Ash Jones and Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Cesari. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com or find us online on WordPress, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as Something2XP. We invite your feedback. Please be kind. <laughs>